Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. love to preach from from the gospel text um, most frequently, but so far this year we've kind of gone to other places. Today we kind of get back to the gospel texts, um, and I'm excited about that. So I ask if you have your Bibles with you to turn them to Luke chapter 13. If you have devices that you open up and point to scriptures there, you can do that as well. Uh, But reading today from Luke chapter 13, and I will be reading today um, verses 1 through 9. Um, For those who are willing and able, out of reverence for the reading of God's word, I ask that you stand as we read together. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Some who were present on that occasion told Jesus about the Galileans whom Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. He replied, Jesus replied, Do you think the suffering of these Galileans proved that they were more sinful than all other Galileans? No. I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. What about those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty of wrongdoing than everyone else who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. So Jesus told this parable. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it, and found none. He said to his gardener, frustrated, he said to his gardener, look, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years, and I've never found any. Cut it down. Why should it continue depleting the soil's nutrients? The gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year, and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please have a seat. So we're about two and a half weeks into this Lenten journey this year. And I just want to ask for for reflection. I want to ask a question. Where has this Lenten journey taken you this year? What, What has it been like for you? Um... You know, so we have different experiences. We come from different places. We have, we have a different outcomes in these seasons of the year. Um, and if I'm honest, before you, I've found it a little frustrating at times this year. I, this year, I, I had decided to, to put something off, to give something up during this season. Um, and, and my putting on of something else has kind of been more like a, a year-long emphasis for me, starting 
back in January, but it has been, it's been critically important for my, for my rhythms, what I choose to do. And, and Lent has been this time where I, I really have kind of focused on, on what that has meant for me and, and the opportunities for growth as I've gone through this time. In my head, I, I know God is not far away, but it's kind of been this exercise of faithfulness for me, endurance, right? Like trying to be faithful, trying to do what I know God has called me to do, but not really experiencing any big epiphany or any big moment. And maybe for you, you're in the same place. Maybe for you, it's important to hear that sometimes that's what these moments and these times of emphasis are. Is a, is a process of faithfulness and saying, Lord, I, I commit to this, not seeing any va- great big outcome or any big epiphany, but being faithful to what we've chosen and committed to God to do. And that's okay. And that's okay. I want to ask you today, though, as we get started, what, what makes you angry these days? What makes you angry these days? There are just way too many things to be angry about, in my opinion. You can have a different opinion. That's my opinion. I, I, I get angry about things. Things upset me, just like, just like you. There are injustices, injustices that, that run kind of rampant in our world these days. Um, there, there are conflicts like the one in Eastern Europe right now. Um, there are things that, that really upset me uh, there, there, through, our, through our journey in foster care. Um, this one's important and, and, and really gets me upset. There's, there's places where kids don't have safe spaces to grow and to learn and to, and to, to be raised and to have a chance. Um, we still seem to have education and opportunity gaps between different groups of, of folks. There's grocery prices. There's gas prices. There's, I mean, you name it, right? There, there's plenty to be upset about, plenty to be angry about in the world. But what I've seen more and more in the world over the last while is an increasing number of people, at least from my perspective, who kind of incite that anger as a tool. Have you known a pot stirrer or two in your life? Um, this, this leader or this position or that policy is, is so outrageous and so wrong. Isn't it the worst thing ever? And, and like inviting you to share in their kind of anger, right? Let's go fix the problem. Lock him up or vote her out or take that policy off the books. Whatever it takes, we should be angry together about this. And as I studied today, and uh, not today, this week for today, um, and, and I thought about this thing called anger, the question came to my mind, why? Why is this the case? I'm convinced, uh, I, I'm convinced that there, there's a reason why people use anger, and I think it's because anger can be a pretty decent motivator. I think anger can be a pretty decent motivator. Anger, getting riled up, working towards a cause. I'm angry about X. Can I, can I convince you to do Y? Having a common enemy about who we can get angry. Um, 
I was reading one commentator to, uh, this past week, Rodney Clapp, writes, if emo- emotions were cuisine, anger is, is a, bitter, a bitter food with a, with a sour aftertaste. But, he writes, self-righteous anger goes down smooth. That it, that, it, that it elevates us to this place of superiority, this, this place of, oh, if I can be righteous about this anger, if it's warranted, if it's for a good cause, then all of a sudden that emotion tastes just a little bit better. Well, these are the people who get Jesus' attention today in the text. People who are trying to stir up anger, people who are trying to stir the pot a little bit. Okay, So, as, as we look into this, into this gospel, and we have, we have not very much context as we just jump in here, um, the first, the, the, the latest part where it explains where Jesus is and what's been happening comes at the beginning of chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can flip back over there, but it says the, the crowd had just swollen and grown and, and become this large crowd. And, and and it says it had it swelled to thousands, hundreds or thousands of people. And, and Jesus had just been teaching all this whole time. As this crowd had pressed in, Jesus had been teaching, almost reminiscent of the Sermon on the Mount um, in, in, this, in this gospel, um, and yet framed in a different way. Um, but this text is unique. The one that we read today isn't found in any of the other gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke often follow the same p- pattern and share some of the same stories. This story, this interaction, is only found in the Gospel of Luke. Well, these pot-stirring folks are trying to agitate the crowd, trying, trying to get Jesus' attention to stir up some anger. Can you believe these people? <laughs> Have you ever heard a good story started that way? Can you, be- can you believe this? Pontius Pilate, who's the subject of this story, he says... Um, you know, the, the verse 1 gives us the context of what these people who are trying to stir up anger were saying. He said, can you believe Pilate did this? There were these Galileans who were calm and they were worshiping and they were offering sacrifices and he just killed them. Pontius Pilate was not a good man. <laughs> he was not a good, a good leader. Um, it's certainly painted in, in the biblical narrative uh, as, as a character of evil. Um, but even, even secular writers back that story up and, and confirm that for people. Uh, one secular writer, Josephus, co- corroborates the story of, of who Pilate was, a vicious and jealous madman of a ruler. Okay? There's no direct connection to this, but Josephus, who was a secular writer, talks about a time when, when Pilate needed to fund this new aqueduct system he was putting in. It was going to be the greatest thing for, for these people, and it was going to be wonderful for Jerusalem, but he didn't have enough money. Leaders who don't have enough money usually find places to, to get funding here and there. And so he had decided to use some of the temple funds to... to pay for this project that he had done, um, which made the, made the people angry, made the Israelites angry that he had done this. And so he sent his soldiers out into the crowd of protesters to kind of disperse them um, and disperse them with clubs and ended up beating some of them to death. This is from Josephus. This is from a non-biblical writer confirming what we know about Pilate. Just a crazy 
crazy leader. While, while these stories seem to correlate, we're not, we're not sure that that incident that Josephus was talking about is what Luke is talking about here in this gospel. What is sure about these stories, though, is Pilate was a leader worthy of getting upset about. And that's exactly what these people wanted to do. They wanted to get Jesus angry. They wanted to say, don't you see? He's such a terrible leader. We, we, we should be angry about this. And it's right for us to be angry about this. People shouldn't be killed while they're offering sacrifices. People shouldn't be killed while they're making choices to worship. Isn't Pilate a terrible leader, murderous, jealous, prideful? What a thug. In fact, Barclay suggests that, that he couldn't give, even get along with Herod uh, until they finally agreed on one thing, which was to crucify Jesus. That's how off he was. And, and Barclay suggests that maybe this incident was part of what what, part of the rift in their relationship that these Galileans had been killed. But in the midst of this bait, Jesus is getting baited. Jesus is being told about this horrible leader. Jesus is being told about these innocent people who were just coming to worship and just coming to offer sacrifices. And in the midst of this bait, this invitation to, to, to dine on this self-righteous anger about the way these people had been treated. Jesus takes a different angle. Jesus turns the conversation. His response is a rebuttal of what people believed in that day. He says, what, what do you think about these Galileans who died? What's your opinion of them? What do you, what do you say? You see, common theology that day the, the theology of the day was that good stuff kind of happens to good people and bad stuff happens to bad people. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> Have you ever thought that? It's always been around. This idea has always been around. Look, look in the Old Testament and you find Job's friends. <laughs> his friends. His, his three friends who come and, and talk to him, and after everything had been stripped away, after everything had been taken away, his friends are like, you know, this normally doesn't happen when you're right with God. You know, what do you remember about the last few weeks? What's gone on? Surely wouldn't have happened to the righteous, his friends say. Don't have friends like in the New Testament, the disciples, um, in John chapter 9, they, they came ac across this man who was born blind. And do you remember their question? Who sinned? Who sinned to make this man blind? Was it him or was it his parents? Even in the New Testament, it's, it's messed up. And today, we have people who kind of preach a, a prosperity gospel. Be obedient and God will bless your life. I mean, the extremes, we go to the TV evangelist, you know, and says, look, I, I was able to purchase this jet. Isn't God doing wonderful things? But I need some more money. Send it in. Um, the attitude is still here today. But those who face difficult times... 
And in the back of our minds, we say, what's wrong? What's gone on? What's happened? And Jesus just stamps it out. And Jesus says, no, I tell you, no, no, this is not the case. This is not how it works. It's not that these Galileans had messed up in their lives. It's not that they had done something wrong and God was punishing them. Sometimes we want to believe that. Sometimes we're led there in our own human thinking. But I think today Jesus would say, not so with you. That's not how the people of God think about God acting. Jesus just says, no. I wish he would have elaborated a little more. I mean, in both these, it's like, no, I tell you. And then that's all he says, no. I mean, come on, Jesus, right? If preachers got to preach, this was your chance to kind of explain a few things, like dig in on it. And he doesn't. He doesn't even give us three points or a poem, right? He just says, no. Instead, he looks to the heart of the people to whom he's talking and uses this as a teachable moment, teaching about what? Repentance. Teaching about repentance. What did he say? In both of these instances, we have the Galileans and we have the people who were killed as this this terrible tragedy happened as this tower fell upon them. In both instances, it says, no, it's not about how they were living their lives. That's not it at all. But he says, how are you doing? And where are you at? I tell you, unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. We haven't had a a lot of time to talk about the Gospel of Luke this year in this lectionary season. Um, and I'm not sure how much we're going to be able to get into it over the course of this year, but one, one of the most, if not the most prominent theme that we find in the book of Luke is its focus on repentance. Its focus on repentance. Um, Guy Nave, in his work on the role and function of, of repentance in, in Luke-Acts, they're generally attributed to the, to the same author, talks about... Uh, how almost half of all the uses of the primary word for repent or repentance happen in these two books. Over half of all of the references in the New Testament happen in these two books. That's how prominent repentance is for this author. He says, this is the time we must repent. And not not repentance like saying, Yes, God, I repent again. I'm sorry. But what does Luke focus on? He says, turn and walk a new direction. Repentance is not just, I'm sorry for what I've done, but repentance also includes, I'm going to walk a new direction. I'm going to go a new way. I'm going to live a new life. I'm not going to continue on the same path. I remember being a kid. I remember saying, I'm sorry. And a lot of times it was, I'm sorry I got caught. <laughs> I'm sorry I got caught. I'll try to hide it better next time. No, that's not repentance. Come on, Freeberg, that's not repentance. Repentance is, I'm sorry. I know I have done wrong. And I want to change my life. I want to turn and go 
another direction. These people who came to stir up trouble, and Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not going to take that bait. I'm not going to allow that to get angry. I'm sure that in those tragedies, there was a ton of grief. People who were hurting, people who had lost family members. But Jesus says, let's examine our own lives. Let's take care of what God has for us. As he gets done with these two stories, he's talked about the Galileans, he's talked about, he's talked about these, these people who had had this tower fall on them. He, he gets done and he breaks off into this parable about the fig tree. David Neal writes about how not only is the fig tree tough to cultivate, but it requires years of care before, before it's going to, to bear fruit. In other words, I could never get a fig tree to bear fruit. I just, me and my black thumb instead of a green thumb is not going to cultivate much of anything. Um, but its fruit was also this, this symbol in the Old Testament of this, the, the fruit of the fig tree was symbolic for all those who would be familiar with the Old Testament. It was a symbol of God's blessing over Israel. But this was a stubborn tree. This tree uh, was not bearing fruit. It wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing. And the, and the landowner comes and see this, sees this fig tree in the ground with no figs. And he's like, what a waste of space. What a waste of space. Let's get rid of this thing. It's not serving its purpose. It's not producing fruit. It's just sucking nutrients up from the soil. It's time to, to clear it out and start over. And I'll tell you that sometimes we all feel like the tree. Sometimes we all feel like the unproductive tree, like, a, like a, a patch of wasted space. And in this parable, as, as, as Jesus told this parable to this crowd and to these people, he was inviting them to examine their own lives. Where's my fruit? Where's the fruit that I have produced? So you see, we're the, we're the fig trees. We're designed to bear and to reap and to produce a harvest that, that there's fruit in our lives. But there are seasons when we struggle and there are seasons where we falter and there are seasons where we don't produce the fruit that was intended. And the landowner comes around and says, I've been waiting. Where's the harvest? But the beautiful part about this parable is the gardener comes. The gardener comes in and says, I know it has struggled, but would you give it one more season? Would you give it one more chance? Let me tend to it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to break up the soil. I'm going to add nutrients. It says um, add or give it fertilizer in the, in, the, in the translation that we talked about. The, the Greek word there translates manure, right? It's, let's just pack it with manure. Let's get our hands dirty. Let's, let's give it the nutrients that it needs and feed it. 
feed those roots. Let it, let it absorb exactly what it needs. You see, if we're the tree in this parable, God is the gardener. God is the one who wants to break up the soil around our roots. If we're struggling, if we're caught in that place where there doesn't seem to be much fruit and there doesn't seem to be much life and, and things aren't growing the way they're supposed to grow and producing the fruit meant to be produced. God says, let me tend to you. Let me break up the soil and pack nutrients around your roots. Let's give it one more season because it's not too late. God steps in and says, let's not cut it down. Let's not waste this chance. And maybe today for you, for you, the season of Lent can be that season of enrichment. That season of where God steps in and, and, and helps us out and breaks up the soil, <laughs> packs our roots with manure so that we can produce the harvest that was intended. I'm going to ask the praise team as we close to come up. This parable invites us toward a productive and growing and healthy relationship in our journey with God this morning. From the one who came with the intent of stirring up anger, the intent of saying, Jesus, do you see what happened? Shouldn't we rise up? This is not right. They were just coming to worship, and they were killed by this madman. To the one who needed to hear Jesus' call to repentance, all the way to the one who says, I'm planted in the ground, but I just don't see fruit in my life. Maybe Lent is your time. Maybe this is your season, your time to realize the stirring up anger isn't the way of Christ, but serving your neighbor is. Maybe it's time to say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done just saying, I'm sorry, like, I'm sorry I got caught, but instead saying, I want to I live a new life. I want to go a new direction. Maybe it's your time to say, I'm done being stuck and unfruitful and unproductive. Pack me with holy manure, God, that I might produce a harvest, good and bountiful fruit. My prayer today is that this season of Lent might be that time for you, wherever you find yourself. Lent might be that time. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.